It is so common to experience anxiety about your finances when it comes to divorce. To manage that anxiety, My Divorce Solution has created the Divorce Financial Portrait, which is the ultimate divorce tool to avoid common financial pitfalls. All too often, people act prematurely or enter into a settlement agreement without knowing the full financial impact of that agreement. Financial knowledge is essential when determining alimony, child support, and the division of your assets and liabilities. It makes a difficult situation better for everyone, especially for your children, to have the full financial picture. So head on over to their website, mydivorcesolution.com, to get more information. If you're thinking about divorce or in the middle of it, Getting your divorce financial portrait will help you make smart and confident financial decisions. Again, learn more at MyDivorceSolution.com and don't forget to tell them that you heard about it on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Financial discovery is where we are literally discovering everything about the money and exchanging bank statements and balance sheets and and all those kinds of things and basically making it so that everyone has the same information about the finances going forward. Hello and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today is an episode you are all going to enjoy because I have one of the leading forensic accountants in the country joining me here today, and we are going to be going through the red flags of financial infidelity, abuse, fraud, whatever you want to call it. So all of you out there who are thinking someone's hiding money, hiding assets, doing sneaky things, Tracy Conan, my guest today, is the person to tell you those red flags to be looking for. So first, let me just say thank you so much, Tracy, for taking time out of what I know is a very busy schedule to join us today. Well, thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. Well, and this is exciting because I just, I always tell my listeners all of the, you know, initials that come after my guests' names, because I like them to know that they are really getting information from some of the top people out there. And you are definitely in that group. You are a CPA, so certified public accountant for those who don't know. I think everyone does, but you're not doing people's tax returns. I am not. Thank God. Exactly. Right. Because you're also a CFF certified in financial forensics and a math, which is a, I say math, it's M-A-F-F, master analyst in financial forensics. And you testify as an expert witness all around the country 
in divorce and fraud cases where people have stolen money from businesses, et cetera. But a large part of your practice is exactly what you know this, the people who are listening to this podcast are going through divorce, right? You're so good at explaining that. I need to take you on the road with me. <laughs> well, I have to say one of the reasons why I know fairly well what you do is I've been lucky enough in my career to, to work with some really amazing forensic um, accountants and forensic investigators in some of the divorces that I've had. And I know just how valuable your contributions are to a case. Um, and they really come up. And that's one of the things that I, I know there are so many people out there who are listening right now who this is one of the biggest fears people have, right? That they're going through the divorce and they just, they either have a feeling or it's a, you know, just in their gut that, or they know, but they can't prove it, that their spouse is hiding something, funneling money somewhere else, spent money on things they don't know about. You know, there's a myriad of different ways. So this is going to be interesting because I know you, when you and I did the pre-interview, I said, let's talk about red flags of financial abuse. And you're like, oh yeah, let's talk about those red flags. As we know, I mean, money is one of the biggest issues in divorces, right? One of the biggest causes, right? A, a, a big cause of certainly a lot of marital arguments is over the money. Um, and so it's only natural that when you do get to the part where you're getting divorced, that you might be suspicious about what has gone on with the money. And I find it especially so when there is an imbalance of power in the marriage or when one spouse has been primarily responsible for taking care of the money, maybe because they've been the major breadwinner or because they just like um, being in charge of paying the bills and things like that. Well, unfortunately, when the other spouse doesn't know what's been going on with the money, it creates a lot of distrust. Now you're getting divorced. Um, you're not necessarily enjoying one another anymore. You know, those suspicions are there. And what I've seen in so many cases that I've worked on is that the spouse who does control the money says, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Everything's fine. Just trust me. Well, that, that's, that's not the best answer for us at this point. We're getting divorced. We need to um, not necessarily trust them. We need to dig into it a little bit. I think it's very important what you just said, because for the spouse out there who's like, oh, just trust me, it's all fine. I, I've had those clients as well, right? I've had both sides of this paradigm, the one that you're talking about, the, the spouse who has less financial knowledge and then the one who's always handed, handled the finances. And I have to explain to them that we are never going to move their settlement forward until their spouse feel secure that they know what they need to know. So telling them, just trust me, is in no way going to move this case forward. And that's why it's not just the, the party who thinks there's some sort of financial abuse or infidelity or fraud going on who needs that forensic accountant, that review. It's also the person who's saying, no, I, I haven't done anything or just trust me because you, again, you've seen it. I'm sure you get called into cases where things have just come to a grinding halt and we're not moving because they don't believe they know everything. 
Well, and I don't only get hired by the party who has suspicions about the money. I sometimes do get hired by the party who is sort of defending themselves from accusations or in a position of having to prove that they didn't do anything improper with the money. Sometimes I'm just brought in in more of a fact-finding manner, and that's okay too, but, but you're right. There needs to be comfort on both sides that they know what has happened with the money. Yeah. And, and that's when those answers can be, those questions can be answered. I think that you start to then see people feel empowered and able to move forward and start making decisions because when they feel that there's money that's being hidden, there's no way to come to agreements because it's like, well, I'll agree to take half of that, but what about all that stuff you're not telling me about? I can't really agree about that. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about when I knew that you were coming on is just when you're, you should be brought into a case. What is the ideal time that a forensic accountant should be retained and brought into the case, if you have an idea on that? Well, my preference is to be brought in very early. I like to yeah. be brought in at the beginning of financial discovery. As your Listeners may or may not know financial discovery is where we are literally discovering everything about the money and exchanging bank statements and balance sheets and and all those kinds of things and basically making it so that everyone has the same information about the finances going forward. I want to be involved early there because I want to be able to help you, the attorney, ask for the right stuff, especially if you have complicated situations like there is a business involved, like we're dealing maybe with an executive who has stock options or things like that, or anything that's not quite run of the mill where we might have some extra questions. I would love to be involved early on because then very early in that process, we can start asking for those documents. Because as you know, Susan, there's often delays in getting documents where people say, no, you don't need that. And it's really great for me to be able to say, yes, we do need it. And here's why. Or it's really great for me to be able to help um, create the questions or the discovery requests. Here's how you're going to ask for this piece of documentation. Because I always say, make it specific enough that they know what you're talking about, but not so specific that they can wiggle out of it and say, oh, we don't have a report that's called that, right? If I'm asking for a business report, we don't have a report that's called that. No, no. Let's ask it in a certain way so that they can't get out of it. (laughs) So I love that story because you're telling some of the games that lawyers play, right? If if they ask for the 2020-2021 financial you know, balance sheet and they called it something else, you may get that, oh, that doesn't exist. We don't have that or, or whatever it is. But if you can word that request in a way that makes it very clear the content that you're looking for. Well, and then the follow-up piece to that is once they do start giving us documents responsive to those requests, I can look at those documents and tell the attorney whether or not those are really what we asked for, whether they look like they're authentic, things like that. And so it always pains me when I got get brought into a case later when certain deadlines have passed and maybe there is no opportunity to ask for more documents. That's always a painful process, especially if I'm in a position where I'm saying to the attorney, I would have had you ask for A, B, and C if I, we had had enough time. If I had known, yes, if I had been here. So I do think that's a significant point right off the bat that you know if you have a, it doesn't even have to be a complicated financial picture. But if you do know that this is, you know, you have family business or any type of a business, if you have, as you said, stock options, um, people of 
high net worth, things like that. It's really a good idea from the get-go to have your forensic on the team. For sure. But then there's the flip side to that. So people might say, oh my God, we are way down the road in this divorce. We've got trial coming in a couple of months. Is it too late to get a forensic accountant involved? It's kind of almost never too late. Now, of course, uh, for me, you know, the the catch is, do I have time in my schedule to take on a matter, right? But right. But no matter where you are in the process, you can always look into potentially getting a forensic accountant, particularly if issues have arisen that really raise some suspicions and that you need some more sophisticated insight into what's going on with the numbers. Don't think that, you, that you're to a point where you can't hire someone because you probably still can, right? Yeah. I mean, you can. And actually, I've had those cases come up where the insights from a forensic accountant, getting that, that expert eye on things has been really helpful in two ways. One, it can uncover things or make things more clear so that it's then easier to present in court, or you can bring your expert in to present for the court, give, you know, educate the the judge on a particular matter. I've also had, when questions have arisen, I've had a, a forensic accountant come in to explain it. And it's turned out there really wasn't anything to be worried about. I'm a big believer that knowledge is power. And so when you talk about digging into the financials, either with a forensic accountant or without, if, you, if you're not in a position to hire one, but you want to try to do some of it yourself or you know find alternative means, I don't like it when clients are uh, pushed towards signing a settlement agreement or, or agreeing to certain things when they really don't have all of the information. Now, if you have a full disclosure, you have all the information and you want to make a certain decision, like a client of mine did where the decision was that she was going to buy her husband out of the equity in the house. And she was actually, the deal that was on the table had her overpaying for that equity. Okay. But the deal was, we knew everything we needed to know about the finances. And we knew that she's going to overpay him on the house, but there were some other areas where she was actually coming out ahead. So it made sense for her, but I never would have recommended to her to agree to overpay on that house. If we didn't have all that other information ahead of time. Right. And and so it makes the decision making. I mean, we all know, especially on the financial side, but all, you know, in all aspects, a divorce settlement is a puzzle, not a one by one sort of sequence of decisions. It's whether it all works together. And you just described that so beautifully. You yeah. said a sequence, which is the name of my company. You see, yeah. when people say, well, how did you come up with the name of your company? Sequence. It's because a sequence of numbers or a sequence of, a event, of events. I wanted them to have that feeling. Perfect. So, well, and it is really a, it's not, well, it is a sequence of decisions, but they all have to work together in, as a whole. Um, so, you know, one of the thing I know people are, are going, well, Susan, you called this the red flags of financial infidelity. I'd love to hear some of your red flags, things that you would tell listeners that if these things are going on, it's it's a sign that they might want to dig deeper, let's say. As you can imagine, there is an entire laundry list of red flags that could occur. Um, but one of the ones that I, I bring up a lot is when your spouse is restricting your access to the finances, right? And won't let you see statements, won't ha- let you log into an account online. I always get really uncomfortable about that. I get even more uncomfortable about it when the restricted access is sort of a change. So let's say you always had access to that online account. You go to log in one day, the password doesn't work. And you ask your spouse, hey, did the password change? 
oh, don't worry about it. I'm handling it. You don't need that. That really um, raises some suspicions for me when there is a change in your level of access to the financial information. That that one should be like a bullhorn of of loud noise in your ear. I've I've had that case where somebody was on uh, the all the accounts had access to all of the finances, and then it didn't happen like overnight, but slowly one of the parties just sort of was, oh yeah, I had forgotten what the password was, so I re I had to redo it or reset it. And that just kept happening and there was no sharing of the new passwords. And it did turn out that eventually we found quite a bit of, you know, people. That's something that everybody maybe should also be aware of. We do find, or at least I have found, people when they know divorce is in their future, some people start trying to do stuff with the finances. Right. I always tell my clients, if you are, you know, contemplating divorce, getting into the divorce stages and you have access to these accounts online, go ahead and download all the statements and all the everything that's available to you and do it right now because you don't know when your access could be restricted. You don't know when your name could be taken off an account. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times I've been in cases where there's been a joint account and one day the wife's name suddenly is no longer on this account. And now we're in a position where we have to go subpoena the documents versus previously she could have gotten them on her own. Yeah, that's a critical point too. Not everybody understands that. If both names are on an account, then both people ha- are entitled to that information. If only one of the people's names is on the account, it doesn't mean that you're not entitled to the information, but you now have to either get it through them, which can be difficult. You, you mentioned earlier, sometimes there are roadblocks thrown up. Or you have to do it by subpoena, which is expensive, adds cost and time to the process. So absolutely pulling together the financial information, anything you have access to. People always say, what should I get? I'm like, anything and everything, if, whether you think it's important or not, you really don't know until someone who knows what they're looking at looks at all that paperwork. Hello, listeners. It's Susan. I just wanted to let you all know that all of the podcast episodes are also available on Divorce and Beyond's YouTube channel as full-length videos. Each episode has subtitles and a transcript so that you can follow along with the episode and you can see me chatting with all my experts and friends along the way. All the episodes have been broken down into categories as well, so things like divorcing a narcissist, divorce finances, starting your divorce, and more, and that makes it easy for you to find all the information that you need on your topic of choice. With over 150 episodes in the archive, this can be a huge help. So head on over to the Divorce and Beyond podcast YouTube channel, and be sure to subscribe when you're there so you don't miss an episode. Stay tuned for more from Tracy Cohenen one of the country's leading financial forensic accountants to hear more about the red flags you need to look for to spot financial abuse in your divorce. But when that process becomes secretive and the spouse is not able to know things about what is going on or not able to see statements or things like that, always a huge red flag to me. And again, especially if there is a change in that regard, if it wasn't secretive before, but now it has become secretive. 
I'm going to be extra concerned. If you are enjoying this episode, check out last week's show with Tracy Moore Grant, the founder of the Amicable Divorce Network, who shared so many golden nuggets on how you can have an amicable divorce of your own. You're expected to be the best co-parents who ever were, or you're punished, you know, so let's put people on the path of success. Let's put them through a respectful process that they automatically are good co-parents on the other end of that process for those children. And now we return to today's show. Well, and they say, how far back should I go? And I say, okay, when it comes to like bank statements, I would ideally like you to go back at least three years with your stuff. But if there are more years available, grab all of them. So like at my bank, I can get online seven years worth of statements. I would tell someone, if you have it available, take the time, whether it takes you two or three hours to download all of them. If you have to download them one by one, I don't care. Just get them because having them in case we ever need them is so, so valuable. It really is. I mean, because, and that's something I think maybe people don't also don't understand about forensic accountants and and maybe we'll back up a bit to talk about that. I think a lot of people think that the forensic accountant comes in, like goes into somebody's office with their magnifying glass and like does an investigation into, you know, at the business or something like that. And that's not really how it works, right? You, you are, well, why don't you explain how it works? What I do is very heavily data-based and document-based. So get me all of your bank statements, credit card statements, investment account statements. I dig through all of those numbers and put together that puzzle and figure out where your money went, what money is unaccounted for. Maybe there were transfers out of a bank account and we don't know where that money got transferred to. I'll have a running list of, of you know questionable transactions and things like that. What you're talking about, like, you know, is the wild goose chase is what I call it. Something that maybe a private investigator would do if someone's in a position of saying, I think he might have some business interests out there that I'm not aware of, or I think he might have some real estate that I'm not aware of. That kind of stuff I say is best left to the private investigators who have a specialty in that area. Right. They're like, that's detective work. And what you're doing, and and I've always you know, actually one of my forensic accountants said to me once, you know, Susan, we're only as good as the information that we're given. As long we have to be given the data. And we may then tell you, as you just said, that there are questions that we need more that, you know, documents are missing, but a good forensic accountant still needs to have good data to work with and complete. So very true. Yeah. So that's the hard part. So Let's let's think about a few other um, red flags of fraud or infidelity. So very closely related to that restricted access is just in general being secretive about finances. You know, when you come into marriage, there is some sort of agreement there that you are sharing a life together. And so that information is going to be shared as well. So if you have a spouse who is not letting you in on the information, I think that's a problem. Now, I don't have any problem with a family agreement where... Uh, the wife is going to handle paying the bills and 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 oversee the money and all that kind of stuff. That's fine. But when that process becomes secretive and the spouse is not able to know things about what is going on or not able to see statements or things like that, always a huge red flag to me. And again, especially if there is a change in that regard, if it wasn't secretive before, but now it has become secretive, I'm going to be extra concerned. Right. And, and I think you do see that as well. I mean, I know 
that we have these overt behaviors on people's parts. You know, one thing, and I wonder what you say to this is one of the things that we as attorneys hear from clients so often is that it's this gut feeling, right? Like it's their instinct saying, I know he's hiding something, or I know she's been ferreting money away or something like that. How do you respond to people that come in and say that to you? Yeah. So typically I want to say, trust your gut, you know, your spouse, you know, your scenario, but as the outside objective party, who's never met you before, if you say, my gut tells me that he's hiding some money, I'm going to say, tell me a few of the things that you've seen that would cause you to believe that. So I do want there to be something that has happened in real life that gets you to that point. If, if it's just, you know, Chad's a jerk, so he must be hiding money. I mean, well, that doesn't get us very far. But if you can say to me, okay, um, we've never done business with Wells Fargo Bank before. And one day a letter came in the mail addressed to my husband to Wells Fargo Bank and he snatched it away and didn't let me see it. You know, then I would say that's really, that's a suspicious behavior and your gut is right. So there needs to be some, some action that is kind of backing up that gut feel to help me evaluate that for you. Right. You don't, again, you, you don't have a place to start really um, other than going through the financial data, unless you have some sort of a clue or a tip off of more than just that gut feeling. Right. And then I always tell people, remember, these red flags are just warning signs. These are not yet proof of fraud. They're just warning signs. You know, they're the big, they're a flag, just like we're talking about, woo woo, warning. Um, But then we need to take that next step to look for the actual evidence of whether there is missing money or money spent inappropriately, maybe on affairs or drugs or gambling or, or Lord knows what someone could spend money on, maybe buying a piece of real estate that you didn't know about that hasn't been disclosed in the divorce. Who knows? But red flags are, are a great starting point, but then we have to take that next step to get the actual proof. Right. I'm curious because you've been doing this for a long time. When you're brought in and someone has that gut feeling or that that feeling that there's some sort of fraud on, do you have any guesstimate about how often you actually find something that was not kosher, I'll say, in the financials? So I get asked this question a lot. And here's the thing. By the time they get to me, they're usually pretty certain. And so I don't think that I'm a good litmus test for like what percentage of time is true. Because most of the folks who come to me, they've gotten far enough down the road where they've got at least a couple of transactions that they found that are inappropriate, or they have something a little more substantial because it's expensive to have a forensic accountant. And people don't usually get to the point where they're coming to me unless they have something more concrete. So I'll say most of the time it's true, but there are the, there is the occasion where there isn't anything. You know, I worked on one last year where the wife swore up and down that he had to be hiding money because, you know, my husband makes $2 million a year and we have nothing to show for it right now. We have very little in any sort of investment account, so he must be hiding it. And so we talked through some ideas that she had, and I was actually very concerned for her. I took this all very seriously. I dug through their finances for three years with a fine tooth comb, and I could not find one little thing that didn't sit right with me. And the at the end of the day, what happened was they had been, they would buy a house, they would renovate it, overspend on the renovations, and then they would sell the house at a loss and buy another one and renovate it and kind of do this repeatedly. And that's where all their money went. They, they spent it. Yes. It's kind of the end yes. result. 
And I, and I, I want to say you went through three years. I think you went through three years of finances, not that it took you three years to go through it. Right. Correct. Thank you. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was thinking about it. I'm like, that took three years. What a, I mean, that's a long time for a forensic accountant to be involved in a case. No, um, no. A three-year analysis is usually pretty typical for me. Yeah. Um, it's kind of, you know, people come in and sometimes say they want me to look at a year's worth. And I say, well, a year is hard to really always get a feel for what normal is in your family. Three years is kind of gives us a little more time to kind of see some of the ups and downs and see what your spending patterns are and, and things like that. Yeah. So, well, a couple of things I want to take forward. So I just want to mention to everyone about the red flags. You have a red flags workshop that people can sign up for right on your website. So if people want to dive into some more of these red, red flags, they can go to name. Uh, what's the website for everyone? divorcemoneyguide.com. And yes, so there is a workshop there. It's about a 30 to 40 minute workshop where I'm talking through some examples of some of the common red flags and what you would do if you saw them, what they mean, um, some of the financial documents you're going to need to dig into for your divorce to, to get a better feel for what's going on with the money. Well, and that's a perfect segue over to another thing that I want to talk about for sure, because you just mentioned it's expensive to have a forensic accountant involved in your case, right? So I'm just going to ask you bluntly, and you can answer if you want to, about what does it cost to get started with a forensic accountant? You can be average. You don't have to say what your, I know your high level forensic accountant, but what does it cost to get a forensic accountant just involved? I mean, it's pretty typical that it's going to cost you $10,000 and up. Now, I've seen some forensic accountants take a smaller deposit than that. And I'm just going to tell you that the smaller deposit doesn't get you where you need to be. And so long-term, it, you know, if you got to think about probably $10,000 or more um, to really have a forensic accountant do some worthwhile work for you in your case. So yeah, it's expensive because I know not everyone has $10,000 lying around. Particularly, we all know how expensive divorce is. You're paying your attorneys. You're paying them by the 10th of the hour. You're sometimes paying other professionals like a therapist, like a vocational expert. I mean, and you know, you're paying for someone to come appraise the house so you can figure out what to do with that. And so I certainly know that that is a cost that is inaccessible to the vast majority of people. Right. Well, which is why, and that's, I wanted to be sure that we talk about this because you have come up with a new program for people that is basically helping them to become their own forensic accountant, or at least their own forensic investigator. And I think that this truly is going to be a game changer because I have been involved in those cases over the years so many times where somebody is in their gut feels there's something going on, but doesn't have the 10,000 or more dollars to pull the trigger to bring Well, and where do in. they start? Where do they start? So most of the time they're left with their attorney saying, sorry, we can't do anything about it because you can't afford to hire someone. And, and having worked for over 25 years in the forensic accounting arena and seeing so many divorcing people, I got really frustrated with the phone calls from people saying, I know something's going on with the money. I need it looked into, but they couldn't afford, you know, they couldn't afford to have some help. And so I said, I've got to be able to do something about this. And that's why I came up with the divorce money guide. So, so you're right. It's sort of a do it yourself, but, but we know the average person isn't going to become a forensic accountant overnight. And so what I wanted to do was create a tool where 
even if you don't consider yourself, quote, good with numbers, what could you do to get some, right, to get some knowledge about the finances that will help you in your divorce? So that's where we started with the Divorce Money Guide. Well, I have to, you told me about that. That's how we, you and I actually met. And, and we were introduced by our friend, Kim Cook, who's been on the podcast. Everyone go listen to her double episode on um, the top five tips to be successful in your mediation and the do's and don'ts. But, you know, I, I am so excited for this for people because this is truly one of those intractable problems in divorce that there is no, or there wasn't an easy answer for, and you're, you're plugging that hole. Right. And so I would have people call me and say they need help and we'd have the discussion and I couldn't help them. And I would be left saying to them, okay, go read this article on the internet or go watch this little video. And, but it just wasn't enough. It really doesn't really address the problem. And so I knew we needed something more extensive. And when the idea popped into my head, I was like, okay, there's already got to be something out there like this. Right. And I did the research and literally nothing out there like this. So I know you want me to tell you what it's all about. I do. Right. So (laughs) I know, but I want you to tell everybody else for it. So the divorce money guide has 10 steps. They're easy steps. You don't have to do them in order. You don't have to do all of them. But if you choose to do them in the order, they will take you from the point of helping you understand what is this financial discovery part of the divorce, and then what financial documents do you need, how do you get them, and what do you do with them once you have them. So I'm offering some really simple ways to look at your statements and look at your tax returns to help understand if something is wrong. So you can find your own proof of whether money is being spent inappropriately. And then you can take that to your attorney and and supply it to them or know that it is worth your time and money to pay the money to bring in a financial expert um, so that they can testify. That's what I, I love about this is it's going to close that gap for people to be able to use what I'll call self-help, right? Not sit there feeling disempowered and hopeless that this is, you know, going to never be answered for them. And they either have to accept that they're being lied to, but they, they're never going to be able to prove it, or they have to pay the thousands and thousands of dollars to bring someone in. And this is that in-between step for people now. Well, and what's really great is that if I can help you look at your bank statements in a certain way and get you to dig into them and figure out what's going on with your money. Who knows your financial situation better than you? Even if you weren't involved, like you might look at a charge at, you know, um, XYZ restaurant and you might say, oh gosh, we never went there. My husband would never go there. Okay. Now you would know that, but I wouldn't looking at your bank statements. I would just say, oh, whatever restaurant. Okay. They went out to dinner. And so it's really interesting that you can bring something to the table that I can't in that situation. I have always made my clients go through the bank statements and the credit card statements in divorce cases. And they're always like, oh my God, why do I have to do this? Aren't we paying people to do this? And it's exactly that point. No one knows your lives, your lifestyle, and and all the little ins and outs. I've, I've had clients find jewelry expenses, like somebody spent money at a jewelry store 
and they never got a bracelet for Christmas that year. Um, you know, charges from department stores for Chanel bags and they never got a Chanel bag. I mean, you just never know. I think that's such a great point. It's interesting because I always say trying to explain to people what law school is. I'm, I'm like, it's not that you can learn all of the law in the world in three years, but what they do is they teach you how to think like a lawyer, which basically is who's responsible for this and how can I sue them? But what you're doing in your program in so many ways is teaching people how to think like a forensic accountant. Maybe they're not going to know, just like I'm not going to know all the law in three years. They're not going to know every single in and out, but they're going to know how to think critically about what they're looking at. And they're going to know what they're looking at. And you know what? If they don't find any fraud, and we hope they don't, right? I mean, I'm not here to be the Oprah fraud and say, you have fraud and you have fraud and you have fraud. Um, We hope that you don't find anything wrong. But in that case, you can have peace of mind and you can have a complete set of bank statements and tax returns to present to your attorney to help you save money in that financial discovery process so your attorney doesn't have to try to track them down for you. And so there's really great side benefits to using this product. Right. And I think there's so many different benefits. I have to say, I think there's a lot of empowerment behind this as well, which to me is a a truly critical component 100% it was the number one reason for doing it. It was to give the person who's not in control of the money, the opportunity to take back some of that control. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's why it's something that I, I just am thrilled and you just launched. I mean, we're, we're taping this the week after you launched. So it literally has just become, it's just been birthed to to the world. Um, And I know you've spent a great deal of time putting it all together. I've had the opportunity to actually go through it. And I can't tell you, having worked with forensic accountants, I was, I had a concept of what you were talking about, but you have to actually see it to really just appreciate the depth of what you have pulled together here for people. This is not the first time I'm hearing someone say this, that they're like, okay, I, I, I kind of knew what was going to happen, but I really didn't know how you would pull it off or how you would make it come to life in a way that the average person could understand what's going on. I mean, it's literally step by step, as you know, taking someone's hand and walking them through it, because I know how intimidating numbers are for many, many people. And just the process, it's very overwhelming. And so I wanted to break it down and like, let's take it in bite-sized pieces and just work our way through it. Yeah. And that, and that's what it is, right? You're not just throwing it at everyone and you're not just talking at people and expecting them to absorb your showing. There's videos. There's a lot of information given in, in different ways. And as we know, people learn in different ways. The more different modalities we're, we're given information in, the better that we're going to understand it. So in so many ways, I just really admire what you've done here. That's why I wanted to be sure to talk about it in this episode, because I know just how difficult that situation is where somebody is sitting in a feeling that something is wrong with the finances, but they don't have the ability to pay for someone to come in and go through everything. And it's just the roadblock that will stop everything. And now there's a tool, there's a powerful tool to help people through that moment. I'm excited. 
Well, you should be excited. I hope listeners are excited. Tell them how they can get access to the program um, and then repeat about the red flags because I really want people to know. I mean, you have that wonderful workshop that's available for people too that kind of tells them more of the red flags to be looking for. Yep. So the website is divorcemoneyguide.com. So that's where you can go to see the product. If you are interested in the workshop, just do divorcemoneyguide.com slash workshop, and that will let you know when it is running next. So you can put in your email address and um, you know get the notifications that will let you log into that next workshop. So very excited to just make forensic accounting more accessible to people. Um, the workshop itself will kind of give you a little more insight on some of the concepts that we learn, my teaching style, things like that. And and, and it is sort of teaching, right? I'm here to, to help educate people on how to take a little bit more control over their financial situation as they're navigating you know, the process of divorce. Yeah. Which is a time where, you know, really, as you, I'll just go back to what you said at the beginning, knowledge is power. And that's what you're really putting into people's hands here is either through you or using a forensic accountant getting power by knowledge, or even I think more empowering is that ability to go through through things yourselves, understand what you're looking at and what you're looking for. So Tracy, thank you so much for, for this is, this is first of all, fun to tape, but also I know what you have done. I get very excited for disruptors in our industry, our friends like Aaron Levine and people out there who, Laura Wasser, people who are doing things to help people move through this process who can't afford all of us you know, in, in, as individual professionals and who are bringing ways to the table for people to really empower themselves. And you are, you're right in there with the group and I so appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I'm grateful that you had me because, you know, you can make the greatest product in the world, but if nobody knows about it, right, it's not going to help anyone. And, and helping people is the number one goal with this product. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.